The book of Acts is where you can find me this morning. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin reading at verse 41. Let's back up one verse and read 41, and then we'll go into 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. When you have that, if you would, please stand with me this morning for the reading of the word. Forty-one, and it reads, Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. It's about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and the prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They, they sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship with those who were being saved. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity and the privilege that we have to open up your word. I pray that this morning you would speak to our hearts, God, that we would experience your glory in a real and fresh way, and that through these words, God, we will learn to be more like you, learn to live like you, and learn to be like you in the earth, that people may see us and glorify our Father which is in heaven. So God, help us today to experience you in Jesus' name. Amen. During this, uh, the Christmas holidays, we went down to uh, Mississippi, and we spent a little time out in Memphis and uh, went out to New Orleans. And uh, while we were in Memphis, we were staying with a friend of ours, this couple. And uh, this couple, we, we knew that they had been having some problems. This couple, we knew that they had been struggling in their marriage. And uh, according to the wife, it was mostly the husband's fault, which is, you know, generally how that goes down. Um, goes down means how that happens. Um, Sorry. Um, so, 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 so it was just talking about this and just kind of hearing about the story. And, and when we got there, I knew that she, she had been complaining about it so much. I needed to take time to really kind of check on the marriage and to see how things were going. So in a moment, I just asked, I said, so how, so how are things going? How are things going with the relationship? And she said, they're, they're great. And I, I was kind of shocked. I was kind of taken aback because I didn't expect that answer. She talked about how, how things had just really turned around and how things were just going really well. And I said, I said, well, I mean, wow, I, mean, I just have to ask, what happened? How, how did all of a sudden this thing just turn around? And, and she said, well, I had to have a come to Jesus meeting with him. I said, I said, a come to Jesus meeting. She said, yeah, I, I had to have a come to Jesus meeting. I had a coworker the other day in the office and she was talking about some struggles and some things she was working on with her, her staff. And she said, Albert is getting bad. I think I'm going to have to have a come to Jesus meeting. And I heard the same thing. I said, what, what is a come to Jesus meeting? Well, come to Jesus meeting is an opportunity in a time when, when, when change is, is a non-negotiable. Change is absolute and necessary. It's gotten to a point to where a transformation has to take place. For, for example, for, for a teenager, it's when your mom shows up with the phone bill and you've gone a thousand text messages over your 200 limit. That's a time for a come to Jesus meeting. 
uh, it's a time where transformation has to take place. It, it, it's like, uh, and you can have a, a come to Jesus meeting with yourself. It, you don't even have to have it with anybody. You can have a come to Jesus meeting with yourself. I remember uh, laying down one day and kind of uh, just kind of waking up and just feeling uncomfortable. I mean, my shirt felt like it was too tight and it was all, you know, you ever just feel like it just feel like you almost got bigger during your sleep. It was just weird. I just, my shirt was feeling all snug. And then I looked down and I didn't have a shirt on. Some of y'all get that on the way home. It was, it's, that, that was one of those times where I need to have a come to Jesus meeting with myself. Transformation has to take place because my skin is feeling too tight on me. I, I, I feel like I got some hugging me. Some of y'all still didn't get that. Okay, you'll get that later. All right. So, so, so these are times when we come together and it's, and it's, and it's, and it's transformation has to take place. And usually it comes with confrontation and transformation. As I, as I come to Jesus, some things have to change. Well, in the book of Acts, we pick them up in verse 42, post uh, come the Jesus meeting. These were Jews who had been scattered all across the world, moved out. Jerusalem was no longer the home for many of them, but they had moved out and adapted to other cultures, had, uh, had uh, learned other languages, children growing up, learning uh, other languages and, and, and getting adapted to other cultures. Hellenization had taken place and they began to fit in with different cultures, some of the main cultures of the day, but they would always make a journey back to Jerusalem to come home for different festivals. And at at this time, you had many thousands of Jews who had come back from being scattered all across the world and they had gathered here in Jerusalem. And it was at this time where this come to Jesus meeting takes place because what has happened is Jesus has now ascended to heaven and his promised Holy Spirit was about to come and fill the earth with his presence. And he comes to Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit, it says, it, it blew like a, a mighty rushing wind. The, the ruach, the pneuma, the breath of God began to blow and people begin to feel something and flames descended and fire and they begin to speak in tongues. And these Jews who had been in other worlds and in other cultures and in other countries and who had learned different languages begin to understand one another. Although they spoke different languages, there was a sense of clarity and they begin to understand one another and something miraculous had begun to happen. It's Pentecost. It was the filling of the precious spirit of our living God. And, and Peter, seeing all of this, goes on. Peter, the rock of the disciples, the one, he takes the platform and he takes the stand and he explains what happens. Because there are those who are on looking, those who are looking on and seeing this and assume that they were drunk. That, 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 them Jews over there, drunk is all get out. Kind of like, you know, the uncle that comes to the house and has a little too much to drink. Not your uncle, not your family. Okay. Um, but but, but kind of like that. And, and, Poo, and Peter, it's funny, he has to explain. He says, it's, it's way too early in the morning for these people to be drunk. I was like, Peter, is that the best reason you can give? Like if it was 6 o'clock, probably, they'd probably be drunk. But it's too early to be drunk this morning. So, so he explains that this is not them being drunk with wine, friends. But this is them being drunk with the Holy Spirit. And the power of Jesus Christ has now descended. And that that he promised has now come. And this isn't something that's been done with wine. But this is something that's been done with the Holy Spirit. And it takes place. And then, and then Peter begins to open up. And he says, so now that this has come, repent. And be baptized. Because God is doing a new thing in the earth. And that day, three 
thousand people at, uh, received this message of Peter and came together and they created this, this, this community. Three thousand that came together and they began to become one, one with one another, begin to share meals, begin to fellowship, and they committed their lives to one another. Those who had lived and moved across, many of them said, I can't go back home. I'm staying here in Jerusalem. I'm committing to this work and I'm staying here. And they became this group of people who, who were mobile. They were, they were in motion. It was a community in motion and this gospel message of this risen Savior, Jesus Christ, began to spread throughout the communities. And right before the Jews would get, would get confident and think that this was about them and, and just the Jews, God began to pour out His Spirit on the Samaritans, those who the Jews would sometimes look down upon because they were this mixed breed. Uh, some theologians would say that they would refer to them as mongrels, as, as mutts, this, this mixed breed that weren't authentic. But even God looked at the least likely and blew his breath on them. And, and, and even after the Samaritans, it passed on in chapter 10 of the book of Acts, it goes on and God blows his breath on the Gentiles and the spirit of God just began to move through the city streets, began to move through communities. People would go to someone's house looking for a meal and would leave with salvation because the spirit of God was at work in this global community. And we sit in our pews today, some 2,000 years later, 2008, 393 North Lake Avenue as a product of the fruit of the labor and the commitment that this 3,000 made to one another. We are part of a long legacy and a great heritage of believers who've committed their lives to one another and committed their lives to God and taken this gospel and made it mobile and it's spread all across the world. And we stand and we have Christians who come together all over the globe because of the commitment of this community that we see in the book of Acts. So today, what can we learn from this, from this commitment made by this community? What, what can we glean? What did this community have to say to Lake Avenue Church? Well, I've got three points because every good preacher has three points. And I've got three points and three, three commitments that they made that I'm sure if we were to commit to these things, and many of these things we're already participating in, but if we would even in greater number commit to these things, we could see some of the great fruit that this church had. Now, this church wasn't perfect. Later on, you'll see the wheels falling off of this train, and, and they begin to kind of get off the path, and God has to bring them back. So it's not, it's not a perfect church. As I look around Lake Avenue, I see that we, we're not a perfect church either. Amen? Turn around. Let me, let me just help you. Turn around, and, turn around to the person beside you and say, neighbor. Come on, wake them up. Wake them up if you have to. Turn, turn around and say, neighbor. I'm sorry, but you're not perfect. Now, now take about an hour and point out all the things that's wrong with them. No, 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 no. We'll do that another service when, when I'm not preaching. That'll be good. I won't get credit for that one. But, the, but this church wasn't a perfect church, and the goal isn't to be a perfect church, but the a, a goal is to be committed to the principles that we find in Scripture. And they committed to these principles. One of the first commitments that they made, they were committed to His will. They were committed to His will. These believers, these, these disciples, they came to this, to this festival, came to Jerusalem, and God literally blew their minds. And something happened to them that was way beyond their control. Something happened to them that was way beyond their ability. As they sat there, as the Spirit of God began to fall, they began to see this fire. And it not only was happening in themselves, but they could see their neighbors, their brothers, their sisters, their relatives... It was happening in their lives and there was this corporate transformation that took place that, that there was no doubt that this is something beyond us. 
This is something that we didn't have planned on our itinerary. This is something that we didn't have scheduled on our agenda. On, on our agenda. And many times I wonder if we struggle with God because we like to have things so planned out. We, we like to map quest things from this driveway to the next driveway and everything's planned out perfectly. Well, God doesn't always work like that. Every now and then, he'll do something that's beyond what you expected. He'll do something that goes beyond your will, and he'll do something that goes beyond your control. God will, God will, God will, God will blow our minds with his greatness and with his glory. And what this church did, they saw God is doing something bigger than us. God is up to something that we don't understand. God is up to something that we can't comprehend. And God is up to something that we can't control. So we want to submit our will to, to the will of God. Submit what we want to, to receive what God wants for us. Not my will, but thy will be done. That's how we ended up down in New Orleans. We saw that God was up to something that was beyond our control, that was beyond our scope of belief. He was up to something beyond. We, we, there's no way in the world we could, we, we could logistically pull this project off. There's no way in the world we could logistically pull all the money. We said, God, you're up to something big. And if you're up to something, we want to be a part of it. So although we don't know all the answers, we submit. Although we don't know what it's going to look like in the end, we submit. We're willing to trust you when we can't trace you. I said, we're willing to trust you when we can't trace you. We've got to be willing to follow God when God doesn't make sense. We've got to be willing to submit our will to his will, even at times when we don't understand it. Even when we can't explain it, but knowing that God is up to something that's bigger than me, so I trust his will. They had a strong commitment to God's will for their life. And they surrendered homes. They stayed there in Jerusalem. They didn't leave. They trusted what he was doing. Sometimes it's hard for us to trust what God is doing when it's beyond our control. It may be your teenager and you may not be able to understand what's happening. And God is saying, you've got to trust my will when you can't trace my hand. It may be your job and things are happening and, and you don't know what's happening. You don't know what the next six months looks like. You don't know what the next year looks like. You don't know what's going to happen in, on the workplace. Some of you, it may be your, your marriage. You don't know what's going to happen. It's rocky right now. It's rough right now. I want to challenge you. Commit yourself to God's will. You can't handle it. It's too big for you. You've got to take it off of you and say, God, I'm committing this to your will. Not my will, but thy will be done. I trust you. I have no idea what you're doing, but I trust you. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I trust you. I don't know what this time next year where I'll be or what I'll be doing, but God, I trust you. Because you love me so much. You have a plan for my life. They committed to his will. Secondly, they committed to his word. It says in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the teaching of, of the apostles. They had devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles. Now, now, please understand that the apostles didn't have Bibles. They weren't walking around with New King James versions and translations. They didn't have the message remix. No, 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 no friend. They didn't have the privilege of saying, turn to the book of Acts today. They, 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 they had the testimony of what they saw. Friends, they didn't have to read the gospel. They saw the gospel. They, they, they would just stand up flat-footed in rooms and say, I saw him crucified. I saw the blood streaming down his face. I saw what they did to him. I saw him when they put him in the tomb. And I remember waiting, 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 not knowing what was going to happen next, not knowing what was going to come of this, and waiting. And I remember getting the news and saying, he has risen. 
He has risen from the dead. And I know what it was like to walk with him for those 40 days. And I can only imagine that they would stop and pause and, and say, wow. This kingdom that he's been talking about all this time, it's come and it's come for such a time as this. This kingdom, Betty, that's, that's not made by hands, but this kingdom that's eternal, that's beyond us. And the, the apostles would stand up and say, now he has ascended to glory. He's left his spirit. Will you follow him? Will you turn from your wicked ways? Will you turn from your lifestyle and will you trust in this Christ who has been crucified for your sins, will you trust him? They would stand. Peter, if you look at his sermon, his sermon wasn't this nice, polite sermon. Sometimes I struggle and I worry about what's in the pulpit today. Because many of these pulpits are filled with what I like to call hallmark preachers. Preachers who, it almost sounds as if they went and pulled a hallmark card off the shelf and they've got their sermon idea from a hallmark card. Because the goal is just to make us feel good. The goal is just for for us to leave service and feel happy. But friends, that's not always what the gospel does. There's truly some joy that comes with the gospel, but every now and then the gospel ought to make you feel a little uncomfortable. Every now and then the gospel ought to rub you the wrong way because truth sometimes, my friends, hurts. And truth sometimes will force you to change the way that you live. Too many times we think that church is about us coming in and us getting what we want. It's almost like we go to the theater. We come in and we want to sit down and we want the choir, now sing for us, now entertain us. Now, preacher, don't, don't keep, keep me awake in the service. We're not Starbucks coffee, friends. That's not our job. We, it, it, it's more than that. But we come in, we kind of have this attitude. Let me come to see what I can get out of worship. Let me come to see, well, they didn't do my song. Or I didn't like the style of worship this Sunday. Or there's too much orchestra, not enough contemporary. And we start, we, we create this idea that worship is supposed to be for our entertainment or our enjoyment. No, friends. You, you, you showed up at the wrong type of organization. This is a body of believers. We are a church. We are a community of God. And we come together and we worship God. And we don't allow styles and worship styles to separate us. But we allow our diversity to bring us together and to make us one as a body of believers. And every now and then, you ought to walk out of these doors feeling a little uncomfortable because of what God has done to you. Every now and then, the Holy Spirit ought to convict your heart. I remember, I remember, I remember being a young boy and, and I grew up with, with preachers. I, I, I love good preaching. I grew up with preachers. Uh, there was a preacher uh, by the name of Willie Jenkins Sr. Willie Jenkins had white hair and he would stand in the pulpit and his voice sounded like thunder. And he had a wooden podium and when he would bang that podium, it would vibrate in the cavity of your chest. I mean, he, he was powerful. He would preach under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and he would call people out of sin and he would challenge them. He, he, he didn't guilt them or make them feel bad, but he would challenge them under the power and the authority of the Holy Ghost to leave the way that they're living and come live the way that God has called them to be. I'll never forget our sin in service one day and he went to the, with the, he was doing an altar call. He went to a man and he pulled him up and he said, brother, you need to come up to the altar. Now, I know if we did that at Lake Avenue, we'd get 129 million emails. But I wish you could have seen it because he grabbed him. And as soon as he grabbed him, it was almost as if the spirit broke on the man and he broke in tears. And he came and he fell at the altar. He said, I want to change my lifestyle. He had that kind of relationship with the man and he called him out. I mean, under the conviction of the Spirit of God. I think, when I think about great preachers, I can't help but think of Crawford Loritz. 
Crawford Loritz uh, pastor is a church, predominantly white church. Crawford Loritz is an African-American. And we went down, we spent some time in Atlanta. And we were down there and we were at one of his elders' church. And we were at the church and sitting down in this country, country white guy. He was sitting there and he had that, you know, that sudden draw. And he talked like that. And he was sitting down, he was watching the Arkansas Razorbacks, watching the game. He said, y'all come on in, fellas, sit down, sit down. And we just started talking about Crawford. He said, oh, I just love Crawford. Crawford's one of the best preachers. Boy, I tell you, we're in that church, and the Spirit of God is just doing some great things. I just, I just love Crawford. And, and we just started probing him and asking, so what is it like to, to, sit under, you know, to sit under Crawford? And what is it like to be a part of this church? He said, y'all, I tell you, sometimes we come to church. We sit in there, and the Spirit of God will speak to us. And he said, and we leave church a little encouraged, a little challenged, and a little afraid. <laughs> like Avenue, when we come together to worship, may we come together and leave this place a little encouraged, a little challenged, and a little afraid. May we commit ourselves to the word of God. Finally, friends, they committed themselves not to the will, not only to the, to the word, but to the work of God. They committed themselves to the work of God. You see this 3,000 and you see them, them, them coming together in this community. They're taking time for one another. They even begin to sell their goods because there were those that, that, left, that left from a part of the world and came to Jerusalem with, with, with not much of anything because they were going back home. And when they decided to stay, they had financial needs. So they begin to sell, I, I, I sell what I have so you can have what you need. And they begin to come together and share finances with one another. And they begin to share meals and break bread together and take communion. They were in people's homes and they took their lives and merged them with other people. This community began to come together. Now there's a whole lot, about, a whole lot of talk about community in our church society today. Not just at Lake Avenue, but in churches all across the country. Everybody was talking about this idea of community. Well, friends, if you hadn't figured it out yet, community requires work. Can, can you imagine? I'm sure they were cooking all day trying to get people over and getting ready for the house, getting the house clean, especially if you're coming to my house. I need two weeks in advance. I need to know, you know. You just show up on the doorstep, we're going to have Bible study in the hallway, you know? Because my wife is not letting you in, boy. I'm telling you, you're talking about a come to Jesus moment. You let somebody in the house, without, you know? But feel free to come over, though, please. All right, so... But, 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 but it takes work to pull this body together, and they committed themselves to the work of commu- community. Sometimes I wonder if communities aren't getting off the ground like we want them to here at Lake Avenue. is because we're not willing to put in the work. We're not willing to put in the time. Because a place like this, you can easily come in and just sit in isolation and walk back out and never experience the community of God that he's destined for your life. This life was not designed to be lived out in isolation. Worship service is just that. Now, we not only worship through song, but we worship with our lives. Even when we turn around and do something as simple as just turn around and speak to the person who's sitting beside us and turn around and speak to somebody. Some of us think that's just frivolous and inauthentic. But at the end of the day, you may be touching someone who hadn't been touched all week. You may be sitting beside someone who goes through work hollow, goes through work and their eyes are just glazed over because there's no relationship, no commitment. And coming to church and actually having someone that cares enough about them to turn around and shake their hand and simply ask, how are you? Or simply with a smile on your face say, it's good to see you. That may not mean a lot to you, but I'm convinced that somebody in here needs to hear that today. They not only stopped with that, but through the week, they started pulling themselves together and they committed their lives to one another. 
Friends, that's what happened. That's what happened down in New Orleans. We started committing our lives together. And watch this. Here's the miracle. The passage says they were in awe. They were in awe of what God was doing. The miracle, I love seeing people get out of wheelchairs. Those are miracles. I've had the privilege of seeing stuff like that, and I love it. I thank God for it. I I, I love the miracle of people being healed from cancer. I've I've had the privilege of seeing people who have gotten doctor reports, and the doctors were in awe over their healing. I love that. But I'm going to tell you a miracle. The miracle that this passage is talking about is how they took all these diverse people, People that spoke different languages and came from different parts of the world. And in this passage, it says, in this passage that we're looking at today, it says they looked around and they had all things in common. What a paradox. Because these are the same people that spoke different languages that that couldn't understand each other. But after Pentecost, they forged their lives together, came together, and now they look around the room and they had all things in common. I tell you, when we got off the bus and got to New Orleans, I was a little nervous. Talk about a little afraid. I was a little afraid. Because I, I, you had all these cultures coming together. You got these, these white kids from Southern California going down in Louisiana. And we, we had other, you got the white kids and then you got sprinkles of minorities sprinkled all up in there like little, like coconut on a coconut pie. You know what I mean? So you got a little sprinkle of everything, but you got all this going down in this majority culture. And we going down in New Orleans in August is 80 degrees and humidity is, a, is 150. And you get off the bus and your poor blonde little soft hair just gone, girl. I mean, it's just sweating. And you, you know, they, 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 they change in clothes every day. I said, look, you, you're going to run out of clothes in two days if you change clothes every time you get sweaty out here, you know? So, so we get off the bus and you got all this diversity. You got difference in culture, difference in lifestyles, different in financial scenarios. We look different. We talk different. We even eat different. We sing songs different, you know? We preach different. The service today is going to be a whole lot longer because, you know, hey, hey, I'm tall. And, you know, we tall people, we kind of preach long, you know? Some of y'all figured that out on the way home today. But, 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 but I was nervous, but, it, but, but watch what happened. At the end of the week, we'd stand in prayer and we'd circle around and we'd look around at all this diversity and we had all things in common. Because what the Spirit of God does is He'll help you to see past the diversity, help you see past the differences, and see the one thing that we have in common, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. And how when we have that one thing in common, it makes all things common. And they were in awe. Friends, I pray that we're in awe at church. As I look around this auditorium, we've got African Americans. We've got, we've got, uh, I say white people, but we say Anglo-Saxon, you know, the proper word. You know, Europeans, how we say, you know, I ain't got to that class in Fuller yet. But they'll help me to articulate that. We've got Asians, we got uh, Mexicans, we got Armenians, we got Africans, we got pe- stuff that I didn't hear, uh, that I didn't even know about in Mississippi. We, we've got all, all types of differences. We've got socioeconomic, we've got really wealthy people who I want to meet with right after service. We've got people, we've got upper class, we've got middle class, we've got lower class, and we've got no class. I would be in that one. We've got, we, we've got a whole breadth, a whole range of all How can a church come together this size with all these differences? How can we come together and become this community? Friends, because we've got that cross. We've got that cross. And that cross brings us together. Listen, it kind of reminds me of the Verizon Network. Have y'all seen that, the Verizon Network commercial? The Verizon Network where you got all of these people coming together. You got all these people coming together, different races, different colors. Uh, you've got uh, different sizes. You've got short people. You've got tall people. You've got wide people. You've got thin people. You've got pretty people. You've got not so much people. 
You've got all of these people coming together from all different directions, all different areas, from all different ways, and they come together to make up this network. Y'all come on up here on the stage. They come together to make up this network. You know what their slogan is? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? You know, he stole that from Jesus. Oh yeah, he stole that from Jesus. He stole that from Jesus. Because in the book of Revelation, he's talking to the church of Ephesus. At the end of his dialogue with the church of Ephesus, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear. Now, he, he wasn't talking to a room full of people with no ears. But he was saying, Some of, sometimes you struggle with hearing what I have to say. So those of you that have an ear for God, hear what I'm trying to say. And as God pulled this community together, and as they committed to his will, to his word, and to his work, they were able to hear God. Sometimes I can almost hear God saying, church, can you hear me now? I'm calling you out uh, uh, from your differences to be one and to come together under the banner of Jesus Christ. Can you hear me now? I've blessed you with diversity in the pews. Now let's have diversity in our relationships. Can you hear me now? I'm calling you. I've given you a, a great opportunity to have a foundation who leads us in the way of ministering in the community, ministering in our neighborhood. Will we support them? Will we follow them? Can you hear me now? Scott White leads us all across the world in global missions. Will we commit to living lives in this beauty of reconciliation? reconciliation. Can you hear me now? I'm calling you to go beyond the walls, go beyond our own communities and stretch out and take this community of God and become this mobile network, this mobile network that moves. See, watch this, y'all. Watch this. We need even practice. Watch this. Everybody, let's go to the right. All right. All right. Stop. Everybody, let's go to the left. Listen, this is to me... There we go. All right. This is to me a picture of what the church should be. We're committed to his will. The cross of Jesus Christ and what it brings. We're committed to his word, the scripture. And we're committed to the work that it takes to bring us together. Look at the generations that stand up here before you. You got young people and you got not so young people. You got pretty people. And you got John Wilson, who's, who's, you know, who's gifted in other areas. He got gifts. You know. That's why he, we put him in the community. So <laughs> we are here to help. No, I'm just sorry. That's, you didn't ask for that, did you? That was this. But look at the diversity. God is saying, can we come together with our diversity and to be one and be led by the cross of Jesus Christ, be committed to his word and do the work that it takes for us to carry this gospel message to the highways, to the byways, to the hedges, to Villa, El Molino, to Kenya, to Arcadia, to Monrovia. Are we willing to do the work of community? Can you hear me now? My prayer is that our response is yes, God. Yes, God. God, I thank you for who you are. God, as we sit in this auditorium today, make us one. Help us to commit to your will, God. <laughs> Even the stuff that we don't understand, God. Some of us are in some hard situations right now. We have more questions in our life than we do answers, God. I pray that you would give us the spirit of submission that we can submit to your will and trust you, even though we can't see what you're up to. God, that we will commit to your word. 
and the truth thereof. That we would live out this gospel message and that people could see that gospel truth in our lives as we live, as we breathe, as we have our being, that they would see you and get glory in our lives. And God, finally, may we commit to the work. The work that it takes to build relationships. Some of us, God, need to intentionally begin to build relationships with people that don't look like us or people that don't live like us. As we look around in our circles, we we all have everything in common in a very practical sense. God, help us to cross racial barriers. Help us to cross the economic line, God. Some of us need to really commit to what, what John is doing in the community and make an effort just to get educated about what's happening right here across the street from our church. Some of us hearing about the stuff in Kenya, Scott White on the phone every day talking to those believers in Kenya. Some of us need to partner with people who don't live like us, who don't look like us, but to be the community of God with them, God. Show us how to live this message out in our lives, God. Let this not just be a message that we hear and it falls on deaf ears. But God, he that hath an ear, let us hear what you're saying to the church. You're calling us to community. You're calling us to one another. You're calling us to support each other. In Jesus' name, help us to hear you. Amen.